It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everyone and welcome along to the Liverpool Echo's Blood Red podcast, where we bring you the Friday fix of all things Liverpool FC ahead of this weekend's FA Cup fourth round trip to Brighton. I'm Patrick Smith and I'm once again joined by a star-studded Echo panel. At first, we've got LFC correspondent Paul Gorst. Gorsty, how's things? Yeah, not bad. Just looking forward to another trip to Brighton this weekend. So, <laughs> another long day and let's just hope it's not as a... You could definitely do it in an apartment down there, Gorsty. Couldn't you get one in Wolverhampton as well while you're at it? <laughs> we've also got Theo Squires there. Welcome back, Theo. Are you ready to do a bit of FA Cup moaning once again? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. I suppose I can't moan too much as they've got um, a full week going into this one again. Though Jurgen Klopp did have a, a little bit of a moan at his press conference about playing it at weekend with so many games in hand still to come. I'm sure we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah, we'll definitely touch on that. And then rounding off the panel, we've got our very own women's football and all-round LFC expert, Beth Lindop. Great to have you back on the pod, Beth. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you all here. It's been a pretty interesting week for Liverpool. Relatively quiet on the pitch, but off the pitch, there's been a lot more to say, shall we stay? So let's get stuck right into that. We'll come to you, Gorsty. We're going to start the show with a bit of chat about the statement released by Spirit of Shankly on the ownership. It's safe to say across our channel, social media, almost every platform you could think of, it's divided Liverpool fans. Um, for those who haven't read the statement, could you sort of briefly describe what Spirit of Shankly are trying to achieve and then also what you make of their statement? Yeah, so the spirit of Shankly and obviously the Liverpool supporters union aren't they and, and they're quite influential and they, uh, they've teamed up with the Manchester United Supporters Trust to essentially write to the government and demand stricter legislation over who's allowed to uh, take over football clubs in England. Um, it's something that's um, quite timely given that obviously both clubs are up for sale but I imagine you know clubs up and down the land, you know, certain kind of nefarious owners have been allowed to take over some community assets and it just hasn't worked out. And they're essentially just looking for, for stricter legislation over who is allowed to, to take over. And obviously, you know, we've got the issue around Newcastle United at the moment with the public investment fund of, of Saudi Arabia. And, and going back further than that, we've had Roman Abramovich take over Chelsea 20 years ago now, wasn't it? And, you know, we've seen what happened with them this year with the basically... The club itself essentially was in possession of the government, wasn't it? While Abramovich assets were seized and all that kind of stuff. So, so it was just a you know a, a, um, a letter to the government from both supporters unions speaking on behalf of the two biggest, most well-supported clubs in England. Basically, just calling for, as I say, stronger measures over who's allowed to to just swan into to the country and and you know take over clubs and essentially just looking out for something that, that is beyond more than just who's got the, the biggest checkbook. Um, what I found interesting from the fallout from it was um, a lot of criticism towards it. And I think a lot of it is is really unfair. I think a lot of it has come in and, and people are, people have even accused Spirit Shankly and, and MUST as 
being xenophobic and borderline racist with, with the the idea behind it all, but it's it's nothing like that at all. It's um it's essentially just looking out for for football clubs and and these huge you know kind of pillars of, of the community, whether it's in Liverpool or Manchester or you know Berry, Oldham, Wigan, you know throughout the entire country. It's just about looking after who is allowed to come in and essentially ride roughshod over things. We've seen we've seen Berry go to the wall, haven't we, in, in recent years and. and you know, all that kind of stuff. So it, it goes beyond just merely being, you know, Premier League clubs who can spend hundreds of millions of pounds in the transfer markets. It's just looking out for football clubs in general. Um, I think a lot of people are putting two, two and two together with the timing of the statements, um, obviously with the rumours around the Qatar ownership going on. But um, they actually, Spitters Shankly actually started speaking to um, to MUST in, in November and they actually wrote to the Secretary of State in December and um, something that I've kind of known about for a while and, and had to sit on while I waited for things to kind of unfold in the background. So we eventually had the story going on our site on was it Wednesday morning. Um, and, you know, we, I spoke to Alison McGovern, who's a Labour MP um, of Whittle South. Um, spoke to her a few weeks back as part of the piece and she was, you know, fully in support of what Spirit of Shankly and Manchester United Supporters Trust were looking to do and, you know, said that, you know, Tracy Crouch's fan-led review that there are, you know, a lot of positive elements in that, but they're just looking to try to bring it forward and essentially just making sure that these clubs don't get taken over by people who, you know, have the wrong interests at heart, essentially. And and that, you know, whether you're a Liverpool supporter in Dubai, South Africa, you know, Egbeth, you know, wherever it is on the planet, that has to be a good thing that your football club, you know, they are looking out for what is essentially right and proper. So I think some of the criticism for both Spirit of Shankly and Manchester United supporters trust has been heavy-handed and, and massively unfair and um, they're essentially just looking out to make sure that they don't fall into to the hands of Russian oligarchs with ties to, to Vladimir Putin or, you know, venture capitalists who are only out for, you know, not interested in progressing the club, they're just looking to to make a fast book and not bother about what happens on the pitch. So, um, yeah, it's been an interesting few days and I think a lot of the criticism has been unfair and a lot of it has just been surrounding kind of people who aren't that interested in, in the government governance of the game um, and just want to see the most money spent in the transfer market, which to um, more and more people, it seems like that's become the end game of, of football fandom. I mean, that's the point you make there, Ghost. I think the main reason the fans have a problem with it is, you know, the impression that's given that the money that Liverpool needs to sort of compete in the transfer market is only available from, you know, controversial, shall we say, resources. Not all of it. I mean, there are obviously going to be some that have clean records and, you know, will be fine um, compared to, say, the Newcastle owners. Now, where do you think, what do you think is more important, Gorsi, getting that money in or do you think, you know, this regulator needs to come in now before, you know, the grass is always greener with new ownership in football, isn't it, before Liverpool potentially slip down a very dangerous slope, should we say? Yeah, look, I mean, you're only going to look at the the Newcastle ownership situation, the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia and, and the Premier League are adamant that they've received assurances that it is not the, you know, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia who are in charge of that football club. But I think, I think we all know that that is not 100% correct, don't we? And you've only got to look... <laughs> And they're actually changing the away kits to mimic the the national team of, of Saudi Arabia and just little things like that. And um, 
you know, there are so many issues around that particular nation with the, um, you know, the, I mean, the, the talk of, you know, beheadings of, of people who kind of speak out against, against the state and obviously all the LGBTQ issues and so many things that, you know, if, um, if, if Liverpool were kind of being looked at from state ownership, then organisations like the Spirit of Shankly and, and the recently appointed LFC Supporters Board are going to be thrust into the deep end and they're going to have to work cut out for them to essentially, you know, kind of stand up for what a lot of fans believe is, is right and proper. And it's uh, what I've seen a lot recently in the last couple of days is, is people trying to have a go at the Spirit of Shankly for supposedly working with a, a Conservative government or asking for, for help from the Conservative government. Now, we know... You know, Liverpool as a city is traditionally left-leaning, isn't it, and all that kind of stuff. But I think a lot of that is it's just being willfully uh, overlooking the situation or, or just, you know, deliberately misunderstanding the situation. They are the government, whether whether we like it or not, and they're the only ones who are able to implement change via legislation. So I'm not too sure who the Spirit of Shankly are meant to be working with to bring in these kind of laws and things around ownership of football clubs. And But essentially, it is just looking to make sure that there's perhaps, you know, more stricter governance over who is allowed to own football clubs in England and perhaps the, the horse is bolted on it to an extent, but uh, it doesn't mean that you should completely give up if, if you do feel that it's right. And, you know, we look at Spirit of Shankly's track record in recent history. They obviously spoke out against the £77 tickets, didn't they? What was that, six years ago? The Super League fallout. Um, they managed to speak about the getting away tickets capped at £30. So they've done a lot of good. You know, the trademark of of, of Liverpool, the FSG wanted to take and the furlough scheme and all that kind of stuff. So they are essentially looking out for what you would suggest is, is right and proper as, as a football fan. So, you know, fair play. And for the criticism that, that they've been coming in for, I think has been, um, has been really poor, I think. Yeah, a lot of it is really unfair. I mean, you know, you might make the point there of people saying, oh, they're getting into bed with the Tories. I mean, so they have to. They are the government that's in state at the moment. You can't really do anything about that. But anyway, we'll wrap that up there, though, Gorsty. Um, very interesting stuff. Also, there'll be more developments across maybe next week on that one. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, let's get back to on-the-pitch news then, Theo. We'll come to you. Young Stefan Bicetic, we've been talking about him a lot on podcasts recently since I've been hosting. He's come up every week. Massive long-term deal for him. Really good news for him as a player. And do you think he is Liverpool's future in the number six role? Um, potentially, yeah. It's like We know Liverpool are planning this midfield revamp at some point in this year. And it's one where he could be a long-term solution as the number six. But as Jürgen Klopp keeps reminding everyone, They've got to be careful with him because he is still a teenager. Like you don't want him to or to put all your eggs on focusing on him as this number six, and then he, he breaks down with injury or he's not the same player. Like we've seen 
so many youngsters have shown early promise and not been able to kick on. You don't want to put the pressure on his shoulders. But so far, so good. He deserved his chance against uh, Chelsea last week for that first Premier League start. We spoke to him in the mix zone after the game and he came across really well. A bit shy, as you'd expect for an 18-year-old facing the, the journalists for the first time in the mix zone. But he still he spoke well. And he seems really down to earth. And he's a player that I think is very likable. And I think fans are getting that vibe off him as well. He's someone that you want to see doing well in this team. Um, realistically, a normal Liverpool season, he's not getting anywhere near a start in 11. Like the players are on form and Liverpool are doing well. They wouldn't have needed to turn to him just yet. And it's just because of circumstances with Fabinho dropping off, Henderson dropping off, that he's got this opportunity. But Klopp said himself, I don't think the door was even open, yet he stormed straight through it. It's just as well because he is taking these opportunities. And while I don't think we're going to see the absolute best of him week on week for the rest of the season, and it'll be a big ask to turn to him for the next six months as Liverpool try and get into Champions League places, it's still a very good option to have. We just need to look at, say, Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott, where you get all that excitement when they come through at 18, 17 and then there's that little bit of drop-off and players struggle for consistency because they're still young. He's still a teenager playing a men's game. It will take him a while to fully come to terms with that. He's, I'm sure he's still got some developing and um, some growth to do. But he said this in the mix zone to us as well, that he's just focused on improving and getting the minutes where he can. But it's good for Liverpool. It's another youth player that got tied down for the foreseeable and whatever they spend in the summer on new midfielders, whoever they might be, it's good to have some of their own there as well. We're saving millions. Like this is a player who cost them less than 250 grand. It's about getting that blend right. And while uh, we don't know what they can do in the transfer market, how much they've got, and we certainly don't think they've got anything to go and do it now in the next week or so, as the Open Cup said, at least they've got half of it right with the players coming through the academy. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Maybe perhaps this contract hints at players who are running out of contracts, such as Kay, Teroxa, Chamberlain, Milner, may not be getting their extensions. Who knows on that? But it's good to see by Chetic getting that contract, hopefully see him a bit more in the starting team, because I think coinciding with Fabinho's sort of dip in form, why not give him the chance? But there's good to have plenty of options in midfield. Beth, you've been sitting there very patiently. <laughs> We're going to bring you in now then, talking about um, you know these options Liverpool could have returning soon from injury as well, not just in midfield. Klopp in his press conference today, hinting at the returns of Van Dijk, Diogo Jota, Luis Diaz, Roberto Firmino in a couple of weeks' time. I mean, they're going to be some massive returns, aren't they? Particularly Van Dijk and Jota, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think obviously a couple of years ago when Liverpool had that real drop off, when obviously they, they had the massive um, defensive crisis and they had all of the, the senior centre backs out and obviously Nat Phillips and, and Reese Williams came in. At that time, it, it felt like everyone was sort of, they gave Liverpool a little bit of grace because of the mitigating circumstances. But I think because the injuries have been sort of spread across the, the squad in various positions, I don't necessarily think that's something that people have you know, been been fair to Liverpool about really this season because they have missed a lot of key players. For me, I think Jota and Diaz in particular are the biggest ones. I think, you know, that game against Chelsea at the weekend was crying out for just a moment of individual brilliance. And we've seen, especially the likes of Luis Diaz, produce those moments time and time again. You know, you go back to the Crystal Palace game when he just takes on three, four players and scores an absolute stunner. And you did it against Tottenham last season too. So that will be it be a huge huge um boost for Liverpool when they they come back and they're fit and even Van Dijk who you know arguably has had a pretty poor season by his own standards I think the more options Liverpool can have the better and I think if you look at the the Brighton game a couple of weeks ago and Matip looked a little bit out of his depth and 
just having you know those leaders in the team back within the squad um you know it can only be a good thing for Liverpool going forward yeah a couple of weeks he said I think for Van Dijk Jota and for me and then Diaz a little bit longer he should be um but you mentioned there Beth I mean I'll, I'll stay with you. I mean, you mentioned Nat Phillips. It looks like he might be on the way out. Reese Williams has been recalled from his loan at Blackpool. I mean, do you think now is the time maybe to let Nat go? Yeah, I think for his sake, you know, he, he doesn't owe the club anything at all. He's been such a good serve and, and you know, he's not a, the sort of player to have a big ego. He could have quite easily, after that run, when he helped Liverpool get the top four, sort of demanded more playing time or you know, not not giving his all, and you can you can't question any of his his commitment over the past few seasons. He's been he's been a brilliant player, and I think if the right move it comes up for him, then he should absolutely be allowed to go. I think Klopp alluded to it earlier this morning. I don't think the club would stand in the way of of letting him leave, especially with Virgil, you know, potentially coming back in a, a couple of weeks' time. He's the, he's a player who has the quality um, to be playing. I'd say at probably the lower levels in, in the Premier League certainly. And deserves to be playing week in, week out. He doesn't deserve to be sat on the bench, really. So, yeah, I think if the right the right club becomes available and, and comes in for him, then uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go. Yeah, definitely. It wouldn't surprise me if a few clubs had already put offers on the table, to be honest. I mean, he's clearly someone who can definitely play in that lower half of the table. That's enough about outgoings. We've got to talk about some transfer rumours as it is the January window. I mean, Klopp's made it pretty clear, Gorsty, that he doesn't want to sign anyone. But we're going to talk about some rumours anyway. And where better to start them with Jude Bellingham has been... A few flirtations this week, as said by Theo before we came live on this podcast. I mean, he's really, really hinting at a transfer. There's been apparently some talks held this week. You know, do you think there's any possibility of this happening in the summer still or a Liverpool sort of in danger of perhaps losing into Real Madrid? Oh, um, I think Liverpool are going to have to qualify for the Champions League for it to be, to be a real credible prospect. Um, I mean, he's... he's He's only 19, but surely a player of his quality is going to be wanting to play in the Champions League. But not so much that. It's the fact that Liverpool, in the FSG-imposed self-sustainable model, they're going to need that Champions League money to be able to afford Bellingham, I think. Um, he's, going to, he's going to be costing a club record fee, isn't he? Um, and that's still, despite what some people think Darwin Nunes brought him for, it's still Virgil van Dijk, £75 million in January of... Was it 2018? So um, you'd imagine Bellingham's going to cost around about 100 million mark. Now, might be a few little ways of getting around that in terms of the instalments and, and how kind of creative Liverpool can be that way. And we've seen that with the with the Nunes fee. You know, it's 21 million pounds worth of, of instalments. That a lot of it is appearance based. So Liverpool expecting to at least match 75 million pounds that they paid for Van Dijk. But then around, you know, win the Premier League and Champions League and all that kind of stuff, that's an extra £10 million on top of that. So maybe they, they could do something similar with Bellingham uh, if he is if he does have his heart set on moving to Liverpool. But just I, I just know how important the, the Champions League money is to Liverpool. So given that the way that they run, I just couldn't see them getting Bellingham if they don't have the Champions League. Now, all that could change in a few months' time with the external investment and all that kind of stuff. And and that's why it becomes a little bit difficult to predict what's going to ha- happen in a few months down the line. You know, speaking to people behind, behind the scenes and stuff, spinning plates seems to be the phrase that, that is being used. And I think Liverpool know that they need more than the one central midfielder and Jude Bellingham, for all his qualities, is not going to instantly fix Liverpool overnight. I think they're going to need two, maybe even three, when you think of 
there's a situation around Naby Keita. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain looks like he might leave. Might be keeping James Milner on, but you know, even now at 37, and he's pretty much played most of the season at right back. I think he's going to be featuring even less next season. So um, there's a lot to resolve there, at, you know, at Liverpool. And if they've only got X amount of money to play with, and they might not be in the Champions League, then it all becomes a little bit of a worry. Um, I'd, I'd I'd love to see him at Liverpool because he's a fantastic player, and I think he could be someone who playing the midfield for the best part of 15 years. Um, but we'll see. Certainly, they're not going to be getting them this month. I think we already knew that, didn't we? But there are a few things for Liverpool to work with. Obviously, he's got a good relationship with with Trent and, and Jordan Henderson. And Klopp's got plenty of contacts at Dortmund. And Dortmund have even said, haven't they, you know, if they're going to be forced into the sale, then they'd like him to join Liverpool over anyone else. Real Madrid have recently signed too many. And yeah, Camavinga's just kind of starting to, to come of age a little bit there as well. So, perhaps they're not as in need of a central midfielder as Liverpool are. I think a lot of clubs last summer signed centre-mid, so they might not be in as much need as Liverpool are as well. So, there are a few things that Liverpool do have going for them in this pursuit, but um, I guess we'll we'll have to see this summer whether um, they have done enough to uh, to bring him in on what would be a, a bit of a blockbuster deal, wouldn't it? I don't yeah. know about you guys, but I'm, I'm a bit sick of the, the merry-go-round on it because mm-hmm. it seems like every week it's Liverpool are leading the chase, then Real Madrid are leading the chase, and then Man City are leading the chase. And it's just this vicious cycle where it's one team after the other and then they feel like they're going to miss out. They reckon someone else is leading it. And it's just endless speculation. And obviously, it's going to be this generational talent that everyone wants to get their hands on. There is going to be all this talk. But the report, I think, was it from Neil Jones for goal this week, was, well, Bellingham's not decided yet. The camp hasn't decided that yet, or at least they're not making it public if they have behind the scenes. So for all this speculation about talks and that, it is seemingly still very much up in the air. You must be such a mature kid to not be distracted by this. Like they had the Bundesliga return last week. Dortmund won, he scored and he got an assist, and that shows his talent as well. But then it's one where... So many things can come into it. Like, what is important for Jude Bellingham? Like, does he want to just go straight to, say, a Real Madrid, be winning La Liga titles, be in the Champions League year after year? Or is it, oh, I want to work for Jurgen Klopp? There's so much that would come into play. We talk about the Champions League and the finances involved there. Well, we've got the Champions League expansion in a couple of years. So, realistically, if Liverpool miss out this year, it could only be one year out of the Champions League because England presumably get five places if the teams keep performing in Europe. And you've just got to look at Liverpool, how they've approached this. They've clearly put Bellingham as their first-choice target. He's the reason why they're waiting, why they've not gone for any other midfielders and why they're perhaps keeping these funds back. But to go through all of that and then risk missing out on him just because they didn't perhaps see that they couldn't make Champions League, like you'd imagine there's going to be some finances back there for them to be able to feel that they can compete with a a Real Madrid and Man City for a signature. But there's just so much to come into play here. But then, as Gorsty says, it's not just one player, is it? They need more than that in midfield. I think it was interesting when Klopp said that signing Gakpo in January would impact what else they could do. It seems like they've had talks there behind the scenes about knock-on effect for future transfers, and that'll come into play in the summer. But Liverpool will need a good few players here, not just in midfield. And it's one where well, they're having a pretty poor season. Uh, Klopp said when they signed Gakpo, he wanted a player who was happy to push the train again rather than just jump on the moving train. If Bellingham's up for that, the challenge, happy days. If not, who knows where they turn next. 
Otherwise, it's a big ask. You're going to, Jude, can you take a, a bad team and make it better? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, all that, from it all that frustrates me is that his price is just going to keep spiking, isn't it? Because, you know, you look at other clubs betting in for him. I mean, his price tag was 130-odd million in the summer. It's going to be a lot more now, isn't it? I mean, you know, he's going to be maybe even towards the 200 million mark, if you're being realistic. I mean, but also, Beth, we, you know, the boys spoke there about a need for another midfielder or two, at least. One that's been rumoured this week is Mason Mount, who apparently, apparently, I say it's a rumour, is going to be allowed to leave Chelsea. Um, should Liverpool be going in for him in that midfield role, maybe in a more advanced sort of, you know, eight slash ten role? Or do you think it's one they should potentially avoid? Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's sort of one of those you think, is it genuine or is that sort of the agent trying to wangle a, a better deal for a new contract at Chelsea? Who knows? But um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it sort of shows how fickle football is really, doesn't it? Because a couple of years ago, Mason Mount was was the best thing since sliced bread helped Chelsea to the Champions League. And then if you go on, certainly if you go on social media this season, Chelsea fans are giving him a, an awful lot of stick for some of his performances. And I think, you know, he would probably admit himself his form has, has dipped a little bit. He's not sort of lived up to the heights of a couple of years ago. But he's a player that that I think could do really well, actually, at Liverpool and, and under Jurgen Klopp. And I think, you know, it's really important. We've got, we've got some younger midfielders coming through and then we've obviously got the, you know, players like Naby Keita are getting a little bit older obviously James Milner 37 and you don't really have that midfielder who's in the prime who's at that prime age 24 25 26 and I think obviously Mason Mount is 20 24 I think um so obviously Premier League proven plenty of experience under his belt so he's the sort of profile of a player I think that could come in and, and if he were to sort of refine his, his form under Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool could potentially be a be a really exciting option. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a player who's pretty divisive. You know, some people love him, some people hate him, particularly when he plays for England. He definitely stirs opinions, shall we say. But I'll stay with you, Beth, speaking of Chelsea, because you are our own in-house women's football expert. Now, it's been a pretty controversial week, hasn't it, to put it lightly in the WSL Liverpool against Chelsea being called off after six minutes. A Liverpool player subsequently picked up an injury from that match. I mean, you know, tell us a bit about what happened there and sort of the fallout from it all, because it's pretty shocking stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's shambolic, really, that it's happening in the top flight of the women's game. You know, there'll be people who argue that um, postponements and things like that happen in, in the lower leagues, you know, in, in the men's side of things, which is absolutely true. But I think the whole way the situation was, was handled was was appalling, really. I think um, for anyone who doesn't know, um, Liverpool travelled down to Chelsea for um, a Women's Super League meeting with uh, at Kings Meadow, uh, Chelsea's home ground. And the day before, actually, Tottenham's game over on the other side of London had been called off because of a frozen pitch and um, the decision was obviously made for Chelsea to leave it till the morning of the match. So it was 9.30, I think it was. The game was due to kick off at 12.30. Um, there was a pitch inspection. Pitch was deemed to be unplayable. Um, the FA have subsequently said that then they decided they'd, they'd put the heaters and, and the, the pitch covers on for a little bit and hope that things got better. And then there was a subsequent pitch, 
put pitch inspection about you know half an hour before the warm-up at which point the pitch was deemed to be playable um but it obviously wasn't the case there were parts you could see quite clearly even in the warm-up down the sides of the pitch players were slipping over it was just so icy um and then the game kicks off and after less than six minutes um the referee called the, the two captains together and, and abandoned play really and yeah it, it was um it was shocking and I think you know the, the fallout from it a lot of people have, have called for under soil heating or you know the opportunity for, for female players to play more at the men's grounds as well but I think the most important thing going forward is that you know things aren't going to change overnight they're not all of these clubs aren't going to get under soil heating overnight it's going to be a, be a long process if it does indeed happen so I think the crucial thing is just forward planning and, and taking into consideration player safety because you know, after Liverpool's game in the Conti Cup midweek, um, Matt Beard confirmed that Shanice van der Sanden had slipped during the warm-up at Chelsea um, and felt a twinge in her knee. So she's out for, I'm not quite sure how long now, but I think they're, they're assessing her ahead of this weekend's game. But it just shows you how dangerous it was. There's been, there's been so many serious injuries in the WSL this season. So it was reckless decision, really, to allow that game to go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's bad enough sort of calling it off on the morning of the game, let alone six minutes into the match. I mean, it's, you know, embarrassing to think of really from the officiating side of that. I mean, you look as well that Liverpool are playing Chelsea at Anfield. So Stamford Bridge was vacant that weekend. You know, why couldn't they have played the game there? Not only for practical reasons, but also to help grow the women's game. I mean, yeah, baffling all around. I'm sure there'll be further developments on that because it's truly, truly shocking in the top flight of women's football that that's still allowed to happen. But anyway, let's return back to the men's game. Gorsty. I mean, I was saying before, you're going to need to get an apartment down in Brighton, see with the amount of times Liverpool have been playing them there. <laughs> now, the last time was obviously, in my opinion, the worst Liverpool performance I've seen under Jurgen Klopp. I don't think that's that dramatic a statement to make. Do you think it'll be any different this time round? Uh, it, it can't be as bad, surely. Um, we, we, were, we were talking kind of in, in, the, in Brighton's press room after that game. We were looking at the kind of really poor days of Jurgen Klopp's reign and you know, every one of them was was kind of explainable to an extent, except for that one. You know, the okay, of course, they had injuries to to a few players and whatever else, but it was still a still a strong team that took to the pitch that Saturday afternoon. But it's just kind of exposed all the problems that Liverpool have had all season. There was no energy in the press, and the midfield were getting bypassed too often, and the defence were too easy to get at. And then in possession themselves, they were absolutely fraught. He, he just kept giving her away and just couldn't get hold of it. And Brighton won't have an easier home game all season, which is shocking, really. So it can't be that bad. Um, they've kept two clean sheets since, haven't they? Um, looked a little bit more solid. If not particularly free-flowing going forward, something Klopp spoke about before in his press conference. Um, you know, there weren't too many huge chances in that win against Wolves. It took a Harvey Elliott won the goal to win it. And then against Chelsea at home on the last Saturday, you know, not a chance to write home about, was there? Cody Gakpo fired one over early on. Seems to be the only one I can think of off the top of my head. So while they have tightened up, closed spaces, become a little bit more compact, pressed a little bit better, they, they've certainly um, not come any closer to developing a little bit of a spark in the final third. And, you know, that's understandable to an extent when they've got no Firmino, Jota or Diaz. Um, Nunes, of course, missed Brighton the last time, didn't he? And Gakpo's only just come into the team. He's, he's still getting used to the rigours of, of Premier League football. So <clears throat> there are plenty of 
reasons for why Liverpool aren't firing on all cylinders in the final third. Um, it's not really excuse making, it's just more of an explanation. But, um, you know, now that they have kind of got to grips a little bit more over how to tighten up defensively, you hope that they're going to be a little bit more progressive on the front foot going forward, starting with um, with Brighton on Sunday afternoon, because it can't be as bad as the other week, can it? Because that really was an idea of the season. Yeah, I mean, surely not. Theo Klopp was talking in this presser today, I think Gorsty touched on it there, like how impressed he is with the defensive improvements since then. I mean, it is two clean sheets. Do you think, you know, we can take any significance from that? I mean, Chelsea didn't exactly pose much for goal threat and um, it was Wolves as well, wasn't it? Not exactly dangerous sides. I mean, do you think Liverpool have improved defensively or do you think it's just been too fortunate matches? Um, maybe a mixture, to be honest. It's one where Klopp said you have to take the little steps and that's what Liverpool have done. They've made the little steps. They have got these two clean sheets. But if not for VAR, they'd have conceded in the first five minutes against Chelsea and then they could have been in for a very long afternoon. Um, There's a few chances that Chelsea would perhaps think they should have done a bit better with in the second half especially. But there was some resilience there from Liverpool. They dug in and it's not perfect, but at least they haven't been completely outplayed. Like Klopp said, that Brighton game was the worst and thank God that he's not changed his mind since then because that means Liverpool have improved slightly. But you need them to make a lot more of these little steps because they were a long way off where you want them to be and where they'll want to be. Um, I think we've already got a settled strong back four at the moment. It seems like Joe Gomez is edged out, uh, Joel Matip, and the rest of it picks itself. So you'd like to think they can have this blossoming uh, partnerships there and it can slowly start to piece together. But I think it's only looked as an improvement because of how bad it was in the first place, especially against Brighton. You can say Brentford as well, because in a normal season when Liverpool are at their best, if they don't have those, we're looking back at Chelsea so much more worse because Liverpool didn't really threaten much and they weren't at their best at all. Uh, Chelsea were all over them for the majority of that game and they just weren't a very good team either. But you take put these steps together, who knows, maybe we'll see a revival from Liverpool at some point. Clean sheets at least give them confidence. And if you don't concede, it only takes one goal to get the win. We saw that in the Wolves replay. As long as it's not 3-0 and Liverpool can start well, can hopefully keep another clean sheet, make it three in a row. It's another little step on the way to what will hopefully be a revival second half of the season. Yeah, fair play to Joe Gomez as well. I mean, I'm really hoping that he can get a bit of form put together and, you know, a few clean sheets in a row isn't going to do any harm to that one, is it? Um, but Beth, I'll come to you first. I'll come to all of you on this, though. I mean, the significance of the FA Cup is always going to be a talking point on the match days. Now, you know, we were speaking before the third round clash of Wolves that maybe it wasn't a priority for some certain fans. I'm sure if Ian Doyle was here, he'd be shouting over me, telling me the FA Cup is the be-all and end-all. But do you think this can now be an important part of Liverpool's season, Beth? I mean, as top four seems to slip away. I don't really want to say that, but could the Cup have more significance now? I think so. I think it's been, by all accounts, a pretty joyless season really, hasn't it? So, you know, a decent Cup run, especially when you look at some of some of the games last season, you know, especially that, that semi-final with Manchester City, it was um, a fantastic day and, and a real sort of boost for, for Liverpool toward the back end of the season. So um, I definitely think, especially you know the nature of this game this weekend obviously they've had a week to prepare for it I think it'd be maybe a slightly different story if it had been sandwiched in midweek and you know it was maybe an extra game that they didn't need to play but you know they've had a full week to recover a full week to prepare and obviously then have 
you know, a little bit of time before the next game in the Premier League as well. So, yeah, I think I imagine they'll, they'll come out as strong as they possibly can. And, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a good way to sort of banish the January blues a little bit, I think. Yeah, Gorsty, what's your take on it? Are you looking forward to another potential replay, another match with Brighton? Uh, no, not not particularly, no. Um, I think, I mean, every time Liverpool play Brighton and something Klopp touched on today in his press conference, um, it's always been tough. You know, even when Liverpool were absolutely flying, you know, two, three years ago, well, certainly not two, but three years ago um, and last year, it's always tough. So, um, going there again after such a resounding beating at a time when you're struggling for confidence and you've got so many injuries, probably the last thing Klopp wanted. So it's it's going to be a difficult one. Um, but he, he kind of said something today that, you know, being holders doesn't really mean a whole lot. But what, what it does know is, or what it does give you is the knowledge that, you know, what it feels like when you're in the final and, you know, kind of, the experience of that is something that you can cling to when you, you're kind of looking to motivate yourself to go further and further in the competition. So uh, there's still early doors, aren't we, in the FA Cup? There's only the fourth round, but um, they can look to, like Beth says, that semi-final day at Wembley last season against Manchester City, which was just one of the outstanding days of the season. And, and then, of course, they went on to win it a few weeks later against Chelsea. So, you know, those sorts of memories can hold them in good stead when, when they're in these cup competitions. But saying that, I still think, obviously, top four will be the... Um, the overriding name for this season and you know the small matter of round to come in what is it just just over three weeks so still a lot to play for for Liverpool this season uh, the FA Cup's probably the bottom of, of, of the three priorities if you like but um, you, know, you, you just don't want to see them bowing out meekly to um, you know on the wrong end of another hiding at Brighton do you? Yeah, no, we absolutely don't. We don't really want to see a replay again, do we, Theo? I mean, you're someone who, much like me, I'm sure, hates the thought of replays. I mean, just quickly, do you think Liverpool's priority should be elsewhere or would you be prioritising the FA Cup? Um, probably should be elsewhere. The focus has to be getting in the top four and going far in the Champions League. But also in that, we know how far off the top four they are at the moment. And I'm sure quite a few of us are pessimistic about that Real Madrid game. They could easily be out of the... Champions League within a few weeks and in that situation so like, oh, I wish we still had the FA Cup to play for a nice little cup run chance of silverware it's one where the game coming now it's fine it's out of the weekend they've had a week to prepare for it they can go full strength no issues there hopefully putting an improved performance to put the Brighton Demons to bed build a bit of momentum and make it what would be three game unbeaten run oh dizzying heights but then where you see where the next rounds come and it's just not feasible really for Liverpool to stay in this competition any longer if they want to be at their best like I think the fourth or the fifth round would come in between Palace and United at the end of Feb and then if you've got into the quarterfinals that's the same day as the Fulham game and the last game before the international break February already looks pretty vile for Liverpool where it's what Wolves, Everton, Newcastle, Madrid, Palace, United, Bournemouth, Madrid, Fulham if you put in two FA Cup games in there as well along with potentially two postponed Premier League games against Wolves and Chelsea. Like Klopp's already said today, why aren't we playing these rearranged games already? We've had these midweeks free in January. We've got these cup games where they're taking up weekends. They could have had these two league games done and dusted, and they haven't. And when they're picking up these injuries as well, it gets even more painful, like bodies dropping down and you've got to go again, go again, go again. But that's tomorrow's problem. Today, they've had a full week to train. They haven't seemed to have any new injury problems. 
and they can go again and build momentum. But <laughs> they get through it. It might not be the prettiest thing in a few weeks' time. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, I think we've all been very safe there and said that the priority should be elsewhere. So if Liverpool do lose tomorrow, we can all look very smart and say, well, we told you so. <laughs> but on that then, let's pick It'd be amazing team. if they lose tomorrow, Pat. Oh, well, don't give away your prediction just yet, Theo. We'll come around to that, I'm sure. Sunday then, sorry, I'm getting confused. (laughs) It's been a very long day, shall we say. Anyway, let's move on to our team selectors. Beth, we'll come to you first. I mean, Coivin Kelleher has been the cup keeper, but but Jürgen Klopp's trusted Alisson Becker in the FA Cup so far this season, so expect Alisson will play in goal. The back four, though, is probably going to be one of the most interesting topics in this team selector. Who are you going to choose in yours? Yeah, I'm a bit conflicted, really, because, you know, as as Theo said, it was good to sort of see a little bit of a partnership developing between Canate and, and Joe Gomez. But then you look back at that Brighton game a couple of weeks ago and Matoma actually like, had Trent on toast for the majority of the game. So it's a question of do you move Joe, Joe Gomez across to right back and bring Matip in? But then Matip had a horror show at Brighton as well. So um, I'm going to go I'm going to go with um, with Trent right back, Gomez and Canate and Robertson left back. Gorsty, how about yourself? I mean, you know, Joel Matip's come under a bit of heat recently. Is there any shout for him coming back in or are you going to go similar to Beth? No, I, I, I am going to stick with, with the guns because um, I think it was a little bit of a kick up the backside to the likes of, of Fabinho and, and Henderson and Matip last week being left out. You know, your place is, is under threat now and you can't just go putting in the kind of performances you did at Brighton and expect to be playing next week. So, um, yeah, Canate, Gomez... Um, bringing Trent back in because Liverpool have got absolutely no creativity with, without him in the team. So um, he starts and Robertson on the left. Theo, so if you want to talk us through your back four and then you want to talk into your midfield as well. Uh, exact same back four. Uh, I think it makes sense to have your first choice when you've got this week to prepare for it and to try and, well, I suppose they've got a couple of clean sheets just to build on it because we know Trent's going to stay first choice. And I think it was injury that kept him out at the start in 11 last week. Uh, midfield, it's a difficult one. I wish I hadn't been come to first year so then I could just copy someone else. <laughs> we can come back to you if you want, there. I'll, I'll brave it. It's one where you're going to have to turn back to Fabinho and Henderson at some point. You've got to give them games and hope they can find form. But you don't want it to be back at Brighton after the horror show. You want to have them a few weeks out first and have them fighting for the places. So I think I'll go Vesetic as the number six. He's doing well, high in confidence after the contract. And it might just be a case of going again with Cater and Thiago. It's a trio that have done reasonably well. I know Thiago's played a lot of football, and if he drops out, you can maybe make a claim for Milner, who I think has done really well since coming back from injury, or Oxlade-Chamberlain. But I don't see too many reasons to change it, so I'll stick with the, the three that started against Chelsea and Wolves. I mean, Beth, it's nice having these options to choose from, isn't it? Are you going to... Align yourself similarly with Theo, or are you going to put maybe one more attacking midfielder in there? 
I'm going to cop out and do exactly what Theo suggested and go with exactly the same as him. Yeah, Pesetic in the in the six and then Tiago and Cater. Ghostly, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of, of keeping it the same actually because um none of them have done anything to be dropped, really. Um Kate is still finding his feet, hasn't he? He's only started two games now. Um so let's keep him in keep him in the team. Tiago, I think, has been vastly improved since Brighton. And Bacetic, uh, fair play to him. He's um he's in there on merits at the moment, isn't he? So I'm keeping it as it is. I'll stick with you then, Ghost, if you want to talk through the front three. Maybe there's a bit more chance for diversity between your choices here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only the only call is whether to go with Nunes on the left or Gakpo on the left, really. And I'm still I'm still not sure what we're seeing in, in Cody Gakpo. I think he's, uh, he's used to playing off the left. So I think leading the line in a different position for Liverpool at a time when they've been such a difficult period is tough probably unfair so I'll go with Nunes down the middle and Gapo off the left and um, see how that pans out Theo how about yourself you're not going to give Harvey Elliott a chance I mean the man who's played in the front line recently definitely showed a much more promising skill set I think in an attacking role than a midfield role would you give him a shot or are you going to go similar to Gorsty do you want to be the man that tells Mohamed Salah you're dropping him after a full week of trading without the midweek game he played, he played pretty well on the left wing against Wolves I think it was Harvey Elliott didn't he did he was on the right against Wolves, wasn't he? I mean, he's on the left at times. I remember him popping up there. He, he was on the left against Chelsea, and he didn't do much. He didn't Chelsea, really yeah. suit him. He looks a lot better on the right-hand side. So this one, where if you wanted to rotate it, you could give Salah a rest and put him on the right. But I think you just go for the strongest three here. Like we've had Klopp offer the, the update on Jota and Firmino, and say in a few weeks they'll be back. Um, but you don't know how fit they're going to be for those games against the likes of Real Madrid, whether they'll be able to start games or not. So in that case, you just want your, your strongest available three playing games together and getting a relationship going. So, so long we've seen Mane, Salah and Firmino as this untouchable front three that are just in sync for so long. And It's strange seeing a Liverpool attack that doesn't have that because they are new teammates, but you, they need games and they need something to click so they can get the goals flowing. And yeah, I'd go with Gakpo on the left because, what, four games in, he hasn't really shown much, but he's had to do three of them up front, which isn't his favourite position. And it's in a struggling team. Let's see him in his best position. Like When he was playing well for the Netherlands at the World Cup or for PSV, it's been from the left-hand side. When he was less uh, effectual for the Dutch, it was when he was playing up front as this number nine. He, he wants to be on the left. He's a winger. Let's play to his strengths, have him there and let uh, Captain Chaos run supreme down the middle and see if that can uh, not brighten about a bit and make revenge for uh, that 3-0 defeat a few weeks ago. Yeah, Beth, what do you make of Gakpo? And I don't want to be too critical of him. Obviously, it's going to take some time to adapt. But he's had four games now. He hasn't scored yet. Do you think he could maybe benefit from coming on as a substitute? Or would you keep starting him in the hope that you know something will click with him and Darwin? Yeah, I would start him. I think it'd be good to, especially while Jota and Diaz are still out for a little while longer, to maybe build a little bit of a rapport between him and um, Nunes so yeah I'd play him on the left I've not been massively impressed with him up front albeit in a really poor team so you know you can't judge him too early but yeah I'd put him on the left Darwin through the middle and Mo on the right Yeah I think that probably is the right call it'd be nice to see Darwin Nunes back starting as well Captain Chaos nicely dubbed there by Theo Anyway we'll round off the show then with our match predictions Gorsty will come to you first I mean this one could go anywhere I'm sure it's not going to be the most optimistic of our predictions this season but what are you going to call? No, um, 
I suppose a lot of it depends on how Deserby approaches it. Does he make changes himself? They've already knocked Arsenal at the Carabao Cup. They might be viewing Liverpool as another big scalp. Uh, I'm going to go with a 2-2 draw. A buzzing for another replay then, Gorsi. So you mm-hmm. just can't get enough of Brighton at the moment, can you? <laughs> Theo, are you going to hope for a replay? Um, I think when we were doing league predictions, I said an optimistic draw. So I have to go for an optimistic draw again. So I mean, I'm not going to go to I'll go one all because I don't think Liverpool score many at the moment. I think if there's another FA Cup replay, young Klopp is surely going to explode. Beth, do you have anything different? Or are you going to make it a hat trick of draws? I'm going to be positive and go two one Liverpool just because I can't bear the thought of another replay. So yeah, let's 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 hope. Yeah, let's hope and be positive. I think you know either way, Liverpool go all guns blazing, go for it, or not be happy to lose because you're never going to be happy to lose. But I don't think it's the absolute end of the world if it does go slightly wrong down at Brighton for everyone. But we'll wrap the show up there. Thank you for joining us, everyone watching and listening along. And of course, a huge thank you to Paul Gorse, Theo Squires and Beth Lindup for joining me today. Make sure everyone that you're sticking around on the Blood Red channel for all the build-up and post-match reaction to Liverpool's clash with Brighton tomorrow, including Young Klopp's press conference. And of course, stay up to date with the Liverpool Echo website and socials to get all the action on there. But from myself, Patrick Smith, Paul Gorse, Theo Squires and Beth Lindup, thank you very much for joining us. We'll catch you next time on the Blood Red Podcast. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.